what if we, what if we decided to do something that was more than just random? What if we decided to do something that was very important, like to focus and improve on the most important area of our life? What if we said this year, I want to, I want to draw closer to Jesus. Like I want to focus on my spiritual health so that I can get to the end of this year and go, I have really grown more. Like my relationship with God is better. My relationship because of that, the other parts of my life are in order. What if we made that a resolution? Well, in that kind of vein of thinking, that's why we're beginning a new three-part message series today and for the next two weeks called Prayer Is. What we believe is that knowing Jesus, what we believe is that knowing Jesus makes life better. It's very simple. Knowing Jesus makes makes life better. And the more I know Jesus, the better life gets. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't, you know, come without any hardships or anything like that. But what we're saying is knowing Jesus better makes life better. Life will be richer, more meaningful, and more purposeful. And since prayer helps us to get get to know Jesus on a deeper and more personal level, That's why we would say prayer is one of the keys to a better life. So we're beginning in this new three-part message series today called Prayer Is. Now, let's talk honestly for a second. Let's talk honestly for a second. Because maybe you're new to the church thing, and it's a new year, and you've said, we need to give church a shot. You know, we need to get involved in church. We want to get involved in it in a way that we've not been before. And maybe for you, your understanding of God and prayer and all the church stuff honestly, if you were just admitting it, is maybe a little murky. Like you're not really sure what it's all about. And you're thinking, I'm okay with learning a little bit about prayer, but I'm not sure I'm ready for a master class on prayer. Well, these next three weeks aren't designed to be a master class on prayer. Let me tell you what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We're going to look at a story in the Bible And each of these stories, these real accounts, have something to do with prayer. And we're going to take what we learn from these stories and just apply it to our life. It's that simple. It's not going to be what you would call a master class for people who are experts on prayer or for people who are super spiritual. This is a series that's for everybody. We're going to look at stories and how it applies to our life. So I hope you'll join us for the next three weeks, even if you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Now, I think some of us, might say, I, honestly, I just don't have time to pray. Like my life is busy. You know, we get up and we get going in the morning and we rush off to do this and rush off to do that. And we get home and get dinner together. And then we relax for just a few minutes and it's time for bed. And I, I really just, I just don't have a lot of time to pray. And yeah, I'll pray a little bit here or there, but like devoting myself to prayer isn't something I really have time for. Or you might be thinking, I, I'm just not sure I I'm not sure I just can't figure things out on my own. Like I'm busy, I'm doing things. And so by my doing things, I don't need to pray because I'm doing things. I'm figuring things out on my own. Well, I'm going to ask you to consider that without prayer, you might be working hard at life, but that doesn't mean your life is better. You might be working really hard at life, but that doesn't mean your life is better. So would you consider this an invitation to understand prayer as an opportunity to become a more resilient, a more content person, because with prayer, you're going to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. 
So I would say giving up that time that you've been doing something else and using that time to pray to some degree will make your life better. So would you consider this sermon as part of that? And then there are some of us who are thinking, I just don't know if I want to hear a a series about prayer. I don't know if I want to hear a sermon about prayer. I don't know if I want to hear a series about prayer because I just don't think God hears my prayers. I think there are people in the room who feel that. And you probably feel that way because there was this thing that happened or was happening and you decided to pray about it. And God didn't answer your prayer. And that thing was terrible. It was horrible. It was painful. And it still is. Maybe something was on the verge of happening and you prayed that it wouldn't. And it did. Maybe right then and there you decided... I'm, I'm not going to make prayer focus of my life because it doesn't really seem to matter. Well, if I've just described you in one of those three groups of people, would you consider still being part of this series? And here's why. We really do believe Wellspring, Wellspring is a place where we lean into the messy. And what, we mean by, what I mean by that is on a personal level, that this is a place where you can come and have questions and doubts and nobody's going to judge you for it. If you're sitting there thinking, I'm the only one who feels this way about prayer, I guarantee you that you're surrounded by people. There's all kinds of people in this room who've been through what, who've been through what you're going through and have come out on the other side of it and they're glad they went through it. And what we're merely wanting to do is come alongside you as you go through it. We want this to be a place where we lean into the messy together. And when it's hard and difficult for you on a personal level, nobody's going to judge you for that. So we invite you to be part of this. So what we're going to look at specifically today might help all of us understand why God does or sometimes doesn't answer prayer the way we would like him to. It was R.C. Sproul who said, prayer does change things. Prayer changes things, all kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. Prayer is not just the hurling of empty words up into the heavens, up into the sky, hoping that someone hears. Prayer is spending time alone with God to talk to him, to listen to him, to be with him, to find guidance and find out how to be more like him. And by looking at these three people and their stories in the Old Testament, we'll see that prayer not only helps us understand God better, but it also helps us get to know God better and help us to become more like him. So what we're going to be doing is talking about how prayer today, specifically, how prayer is asking. Prayer is asking. Our focus verses today are found in 2 Kings 18 and 19 in the Old Testament. If you're following along in one of the Bibles, in one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, I think it's page 264, or you can follow along with the words that will be up on the screen. There are two main characters in today's story. And I don't want to say characters as in this is a made-up story. There's two main people in today's story or this account we're looking at. One main character, one main person in the story is King Hezekiah of Judah. Okay, King Hezekiah of Judah. And the other main person in the story is King Sennacherib of Assyria. So you got Hezekiah, who is one person, and you got Sennacherib, who was the other king from Assyria. 
Those are the two main characters. And this story takes place about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So we're looking at 700 BC. And Hezekiah has become king of Judah at the age of 25. Now, 25, like you remember Rob's been preaching for us? Rob is 25. So somebody about Rob's age comes to be the king of Judah. And the Bible tells us that he is the kind of guy who does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So he's a godly young man, a godly king. Now, he's been king for about 14 years when in 703 BC, Sennacherib in Assyria says, you know what? I want some more money and I want some more power. And Assyria is the predominant nation in the region. And they want to make sure all the other countries and nations are subservient to them. So he begins this campaign going around to these different nations, looting and plundering and making sure that they pledge their allegiance to him and showing his power over them. And he probably has an army of over 200,000 men on this campaign with him. And we know that because of something that happens later that we'll see. Well, after successfully plundering and overwhelming two other nations, Sennacherib turns his attention to Judah. And in 2 Kings 18, we read how Sennacherib attacks and captures some of the walled fortified cities on the Judean border. So the first cities they come to, they're walled, they're fortified cities, and the Assyrians easily conquer them. Well, this makes Hezekiah, who's in Jerusalem, uh, many miles away, very nervous because he's like, I, I can't stop him from plundering Jerusalem. So at Hezekiah, he says, what do you want? I will pay you whatever you want. And what Sennacherib requires is he says, okay, pay me 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, scholars have estimated that this is worth hundreds of millions of dollars of payment that Hezekiah was going to have to pay to Sennacherib. That's a lot of money. And he does. He gets the silver together, the gold together, sends it to Sennacherib. And Sennacherib, like most people, you know, the Bible says whoever loves money never has enough. Sennacherib's like, well, if they've got this money, they might have more. So what he does is he sends officers and emissaries and part of his army toward Jerusalem to put some pressure on Hezekiah. And before they get to Jerusalem, Hezekiah sends out his emissaries to talk to the emissaries for Sennacherib. Okay, so you got the picture. Now, this whole time, as a godly king, Hezekiah is telling his people, hey, God is with us. God's going to take care of us. The Lord is on our side. So he is talking to the people in a, in a way that you would like a godly man to talk to his people. But when the Assyrians talk to the emissaries, of Hezekiah, here's what they say. This is from 2 Kings 18. They say, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. And then they say, he is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Now, Hezekiah's emissaries, they don't say a word. They just take this report back to Hezekiah and they tell Hezekiah what the Assyrians have said. And of course, 
Hezekiah is upset. He's unsettled by the situation. And it says that he tears his clothes. It's like that's, a, that's an emotional response to the situation. He tears his clothes. It'd be like you hearing bad news and you wanting to do something. So you punch a wall or, or something like that. It's, it's a sign of great distress and emotion. What do you do when an enemy shows up at your door? What do you do when an enemy shows up at your door? What do we do when we build walls of protection? And yet the enemy comes, the bully comes, and threatens to take what belongs to you or threatens to do something to you that isn't fair or right, something that will cause you great hurt and pain and sadness. What do you do? The bully can be another person. It can be like the big kid named Biff who threatens to steal your lunch money. You know, what do you do about a Biff? Or it can be a situation like a life-threatening situation, a life-threatening diagnosis. What are you going to do? I, I, and as I was working on this message and I was preparing for it, I was like, we've never known what that felt like to be Hezekiah or the people of Judah. But then I thought, well, yes, we have. Well, remember September 11th. Anybody over 30 remembers September 11th. And I think we all remember going, who's attacking us and Why? And the things were happening so fast and it just seemed like we were reacting and there was no end in it. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And, and it just, we were being attacked. And it was, it was very unsettling. And we had to turn to our, our president to see what he was going to say, what he was going to do. And that's what it's like for Judah. That's what it's like for the people of Judah. That's what it's like for King Hezekiah. No one is really sure what to do about the Assyrians. He's tried paying off Sennacherib, but that didn't work. But 2 Kings 19.1 says that Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah entered into the Lord's presence. Facing a powerful bully, Hezekiah begins to pray. Now, some people see prayer as a weak response. I'm not saying that a lot of people in here do, but it's like prayer. Why would you pray? What are you going to do about it? Not what are you going to pray about? What are you going to do about it? Some see prayer as a weak response, but prayer is a very natural response when an enemy shows up at your door. So never be embarrassed to pray. And the other response is Hezekiah wants other people to pray with him. He sends word to the prophet Isaiah. Now a prophet in those days was a, a messenger for God. And Isaiah is a prophet and he sends word to Isaiah and he says, look, hey, this is a very unsettling time. The Assyrians are at our door and they're threatening us and they're even making fun of the Lord. And then he says to Isaiah, therefore pray. Like I'm praying, but I need you to be praying with me. So not only does Hezekiah pray, he says, I need others to surround me when I pray. And Isaiah replies, Isaiah gets the message and he replies. And he says, this is what the Lord says to you, Hezekiah. So remember, this is what Isaiah is relaying what God had said to him now to Hezekiah. He said, do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with a sword. Well, that's, that's good news. Isaiah relays what God has said. Don't worry. Don't be afraid of Sennacherib. I will take care of him. 
Now, wouldn't it be great if every time we faced something that was a bully or something very hard, if we just heard the voice of the Lord say, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about this life-threatening diagnosis. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about your financial trouble. I'll make sure you're okay. Whatever you're going through, I'll take care of it for you. But I think we can all look back and we can say, the reality of my experience isn't quite like that. God hasn't always operated that way. Like I've sometimes prayed and I've, I've just never heard God's voice. But when we get to the end of the story, we'll see how God was moving, not only in this situation, but in ours as well. But God wants Hezekiah to know, you don't need to be afraid of Sennacherib. Well, when, it, when a bully's at your door, it's going to be hard to have peace. And even though Hezekiah has heard the voice of the word of the Lord, he's still a little unsettled because in spite of God's promise, God hasn't done anything yet. And it just so happens that at that exact same time, Sennacherib has decided to imply, apply more pressure upon Hezekiah and Judah. And evidently, he has a really good team of spies around because he seems to know everything that is being discussed among Hezekiah and his officials. I believe he probably had a spy within the court of Hezekiah who was feeding him information. So Sennacherib sends another message to Hezekiah that essentially says this, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to Assyria. He says, none of the other nations' gods helped them either. In other words, look, Hezekiah, the gods of these other nations didn't protect them. Your God's not going to protect you. Now, let me drop some words of wisdom. We should never underestimate God. We should never underestimate God. It's never a good idea to tell other people what God can or can't or won't do. I'm just suggesting that. You shouldn't speak for God. I know some people think they've got God figured out. They've got God figured out. Here's how God's going to respond. Here's how God's going to not respond. Here's what God's going to do. Here's what God's not going to do that. They've got God figured out. Some people think that God is a weak and measly God. These problems are much bigger than him. Well, that's a mistake. Sennacherib is seriously underestimating God. Well, Hezekiah receives this letter from Sennacherib and he reads it. And then he goes up to the temple again, to the house of the Lord again. And Hezekiah, what he does is he takes this letter and he spreads it out before him. And then he begins to pray. Let's look at what he prays to the Lord. He says, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. Okay, now cherubim are angels. So he's saying, Lord, you are surrounded by angels. He said, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste To these nations and their lands, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O God, O Lord, are God. Now, I want us to look at this prayer and notice some things that can help us when we pray, when we're facing a bully, when we need to ask. I want you to notice this. Hezekiah has a place to pray. He goes to the temple. And if you're going to pray, it's helpful to have a place. 
Now, you don't have to have a place, a specific place. You can pray anywhere, anytime. But it's helpful to have a place. If you're going to pray regularly, it's helpful to have a place to go. Maybe that's in your car on the way to work. Or maybe that's you have an office at home or an office where you go to work and you can pray there. Maybe you've got a back deck where you can pray. Maybe it's a kitchen table. But it's just good to have a place to pray. If you have a place to pray, that makes it a lot easier to pray. And that's what Hezekiah has. He has a place to pray. You need a place to pray. He begins his prayer by acknowledging God's sovereignty over all the nations. Sovereignty means power. You know, okay, there's these other nations, God, but you are way above them. Sovereignty means God is above and beyond. He says, you're sovereign. And you know what? When we pray, we need to understand that God is above and beyond any problem that we have. Then God, then Hezekiah acknowledges God's omnipotence. He acknowledges how God is all powerful. He said, you've made heaven and earth. Now let's stop right here. If God can make the heavens and the earth, what can't God do? Nothing. And if God is all powerful, if God is all powerful, that means against God, we are what? Powerless. So God, you're all powerful. Compared to you, Sennacherib is powerless. Hezekiah asked God to notice his situation. Are you hearing this, Lord? Are you seeing this? Have you heard how Sennacherib is insulting you? Hezekiah then asked the Lord to save them from Sennacherib's hand. Oh, Lord, our God, deliver us. When you're praying, it's okay to say, Lord, this is terrible what I'm facing. Help me through this. And finally, Hezekiah says to the Lord, all kingdoms on earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. This is so big, God, that if you take care of Sennacherib, every nation will know it. Every king will know that you are the Lord because, God, I'm not big enough to do this. I'm not big enough to defeat Sennacherib by my own, is what Hezekiah is saying. But you, O Lord, when you, when you answer this prayer, when you save us and protect us, every nation, every king will know that you are the Lord. So Hezekiah is laying all this out before the Lord and asking for God to intervene, for God to help. I don't know if you remember something that Jesus said about in the New Testament, what he said about in prayer, about the New Testament, about prayer. In Matthew, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There is this principle that we see all throughout the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in this story here. We see it in the New Testament. We see it from the words of Jesus himself. We should pray. We should share our wants and burdens with God, asking him to help. It's very simple. We should pray. We should share our wants and burdens with God, asking him to help. Now, when I was about seven or eight years old, I remember praying, and I remember exactly where I was when I prayed this prayer. So I might have been a little older or a little bit younger. I remember I was in my grandparents' carport in East Tennessee. And I remember praying this prayer because I was aware of who God was and I've been to church, but I prayed, you know, Lord, if you are God, isn't that a great way to begin a prayer? If you are God, if you are real and you are God, Lord, when, when I get home, I pray that I would have a hundred dollars. And guess what? When I got home, there was no hundred dollars. 
Now, what, what does that tell me about God? Nothing. That actually tells me more about me than it does about who God is. Does it tell me that God's not real? No, it doesn't tell me that at all. Because God didn't answer my prayer, does that tell me that God doesn't care? No, it doesn't tell us that at all. Maybe you prayed to ace a test and you didn't. You failed it. Or you prayed that your team would win the game and they didn't. Or you prayed that your parents would stay together and they didn't. Or you prayed that your Aunt Bev would die so you could inherit her fortune. And she did, but you didn't. Does that mean God isn't real? Does that mean God doesn't care? And the answer is this. God hears all our prayers because he cares for us. But sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers. You know why? Because he cares for us. Like he understands a lot better what's going on than we do. And maybe he doesn't want us to get the impression that we can manipulate him by getting what we want all the time. And it might be something small, like God, give me a hundred dollars when I get home, or it might be something serious. But God is like, I care about you. And I'm going to listen because I care about you, but I'm not always going to give you what you ask for because I care about you and I care about other people. Do you remember what Jesus prayed on the night before his crucifixion? I mean, Jesus is getting ready. He's hours away from his death. And it is no ordinary death. It is a painful death. It is a lonely death. And what Jesus prays is, Lord, I pray that this cup would pass over me. Like what Jesus is saying is, I pray that this wouldn't happen. But then what does Jesus pray? But not my will, but yours be done. When we pray, you may have a preference. You may, you may have it all figured out. You may have a preference. You may have a will. You may have a plan. But guess what? So does God. And God has the ability to see every consequence. He has the ability to see every nuance of the situation. He understands how it's going to affect not only you, but everybody else. And he sees that a lot better than we do. That's why Job 42.2 says, I know that you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God can do anything. But the one thing he's not going to allow to happen is he's not going to allow his plans to be thwarted. So remember, when we pray and ask God for something, we should remember the prayer of Jesus. It's like, Lord, this is what I want. But what you want is much more important. So whatever you decide, Lord, whether you answer this prayer with a yes or no, I'm going to trust you. Writer Griffin Gulledge wrote, when it comes down to it, and I've never thought about this before until I read this. When it comes down to it, he said, God answers prayer in one of only two ways, provision or protection. If he gives us what we ask for, it's because of his great love. But the converse is also true. And that what we often so often miss. If the Lord isn't giving us what we asked for, then he's protecting us from it. God understands our prayers on a much deeper level than we do. And he, he's doing everything for our protection or provision. When we prayed for that job that we didn't get, maybe God was looking out for you in a way that you never would have imagined. When that thing you hoped for didn't pan out, God was do, either doing that for your protection or provision. When we pray for that bully to go away and it doesn't, you're like, okay, I thought... It's, it doesn't seem like my prayer, 
my provision or protection is being considered by the Lord here. What am I going to do about this? Well, we need to understand that God may not answer the prayer in the time that you expect him to. Sometimes his timing is much different. Sometimes some of the prayers we pray about aren't answered until the other side of eternity. But God can be trusted to do what's best for our protection and provision. So here's what's really cool is to see how God answered Hezekiah's prayer. How did God respond? God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Our verses say that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. That's a lot of people. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all these dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. So Sennacherib, who was not near Jerusalem, he was just miles away. He had sent his emissaries and his army toward Jerusalem. The army outside Jerusalem, 185,000 of them are destroyed, are killed by the Lord. Sennacherib gets word back for where he is, and he decides to return to Assyria. But God isn't done with Sennacherib yet. Look at verse 37. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, or Sherezer, or Sherezer, it's up to you. You can pick out whatever name you want to call the guy, because I don't know either. But his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, cut him down with a sword. They cut him down with a sword. His own sons killed him. God will eventually humble the proud. He will eventually humble any challenger to his authority. And what God promised Hezekiah he would do, God did. When we pray, God can be trusted. So I want to challenge you as you begin this year. I want to challenge you to spend your time. I want to challenge you to spend time alone with God every day in prayer. I challenge you to pour out your heart to him and ask him for big, bold things. And I challenge you to trust his answer. God knows what's best for us and you can trust him to be looking out for your provision and protection. And when we do those things, we might find that God is moving to help us become something we weren't before. Like when God doesn't answer our, pre- our, our prayer the way we want him to, he might be doing something we weren't expecting him to do. He might make us a stronger person. He might be making us a more faithful person. He might be making us a person who's more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think becoming more like Jesus is something we should all be resolved to do. So let me close with a question. Are you here to know about God or to know God? Are you here to know about God or are you here to know God? When our kids were little, I mean, I've been in ministry a long time and we sent our kids to Sunday school classes and little kids classes like like everybody else does. But when we would pick them up, we would ask this question. So what did you learn about Jesus today? And then it hit me. That is the wrong question. What did you learn about Jesus today? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how did you grow closer to Jesus today? And so what I'm asking you is the same question. Do you want to know about God or do you want to know God? The right question is at the end of the service is like, did you learn more about prayer or did you learn more about how you're going to pray? Are you saying, yeah, I know more about prayer. I know more about God. Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to start praying more. The real value in this message is simple. We, we want you to pray more. Why? Because we think the more you pray, the closer you get to Jesus. The closer we get to Jesus, the richer life 
becomes. The truth is, we were created to know God. Not just to know about Him, but to know Him personally. You and I were created to have peace in life with God. Straight up. That's why you're here. To have peace in life with God. But there's a problem that we all have. The problem we all have is what? Sin. Spiritual rebellion. Like we get selfish. We want things our way, not God's way. And God saw that. He recognized that in all of us. And it was part of his plan all along to do something about the problem of sin. So what God's remedy to the problem of sin was, was the cross. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live on earth, live a perfect sinless life, and to give his life on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, for our sin. Jesus on the cross paid for everybody's sin. It's sufficient to pay for everybody's sin. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to pay for everyone's sin. That was God's answer to the problem of of sin. But our choice today is are we going to accept what Jesus has done for us? Are we going to make him our forgiver? Are we going to make him our leader? Now, it's the first Sunday of the year. It's a great time to say, you know what? Maybe I'm going to pray more. But another thing maybe I'm going to do is I'm going to take that next step with Jesus. I'm ready to make Jesus my leader and forgiver or my Savior and my Lord. Well, what we're going to do together is we're going to, in a moment, we're going to stand up together. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to sing together. And as we sing, if you want to talk more about what it means to take that next step with Jesus, I invite you to make that decision today. What a better way to start a new year than doing that. And I'm going to be right down here if you want to talk about it. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to stand, pray, and sing together. And if you want to make a decision, I'll be right over there. All right? Let's stand and let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would give us great wisdom and insight on how to follow you and to be more like you, to know you better. And Lord, I pray for your people here. May they know your great and deep love for them on a personal level. And thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you directly through prayer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.